So we're looking at the continuation this morning, really just trying to identify some of the things that, that we might value as a church as we're looking at uh, this term, uh, uh, our vision, and just trying to unpack that a little bit. And this morning, wanted us to look at what it might be to be gifted to serve as a part of who we are as church, that we might be gifted to serve. But before we get on to us, I want you just to think for a minute of a church where individuals jostle for position, for influence, for a sense of importance, albeit probably dressed up in the nicest possible politically correct way, but people that jostle for influence, where there are some that feel superior and like to lord it over those who actually by the superior one's actions feel pretty inferior, where people relate gifting to status, to a sense of importance, of a sense of who deserves what because of their importance. Think of a church where there's a tendency towards self-reliance, towards doing things on automatic pilot, because, well, that's just the way it happens, and that's, that's what we do. Where people's areas of service become their territory and woe betide anybody that should step into that territory because that's somebody else's domain. The early church in Corinth was actually very much like that. It was a place where where individualism And the influence of society at large had seeped into the church through its people. And actually, we can see it all too easily at a church near you. Could it even happen here? Now, a few weeks ago, I I asked a question. What is it that would unite an accountant and a bricklayer, an elderly lady and a young boy, a painter and decorator and a brain surgeon as they walk in to Anfield Football Club? What is it that unites all those different people from different walks of life as they walk in to Anfield Football Club? It's the team. It's their passion for the team, for Liverpool, or going to Old Trafford, or or the Emirates in London. Those people from different walks of life, young and old, all kinds of different interests, they come together because of their passion for a football team. And it creates an affiliation because they they like the same thing. They're passionate about the same team. 
And for that time when they're together, there's a sense of oneness. Either cheering and rejoicing or barking at the referee or booing the players off the pitch because they've been terrible. And that picture can be translated into the church and then some. Because you see, the church is united not by a passion for a football team, not by a passion for a particular religious interest, but because of a passion for Jesus Christ. We're not united by some kind of individualistic spirituality or some sense of being a part of a club of of generally quite nice people. But we're united by being dependent on Jesus for our very relationship with Him. Being dependent on God for forgiveness, for without Jesus, we are lost in eternity of separation. We are united by laying down our sinful nature so that we can be renewed and restored in Jesus. And of course we don't get it all right, of course we're not all shining saints, we don't do that all the time, but that is our desire in Christ alone, my hope is found. And Paul in this letter to the Corinthians really tries to hammer it home. Because God wants our relationship with him to be vital. By that mean, I mean full of life. Our relationship with God isn't just an academic thing that we take off the shelf on a Sunday morning and then put back on the shelf and get on with the rest of our lives. God wants our relationship with him to be living so that we, in turn, can give hope and life to others by the power of God's Spirit not drain life away and leave people feeling hopeless, which actually can so often be the case with our churches. Paul in this letter wants to affirm and commend the reality that God wants to give us all kinds of gifts. How cool is that? My kids have been excited about Christmas for weeks now excited about what's going on, about about what little presents they might get. Are we excited about the fact that God wants to give us gifts that are far better than anything that we can buy in the shops? Gifts that will help us, that will build one another up, that will not cause harm and lead to pride. Paul wants to affirm God wants to give us gifts. Gifts that will vary, yes. But that's so that each person will, in the way that God wants them to do, that those people will serve the church. What I want us to do this morning is just to take a look at this chapter in little sections. Now, we haven't got masses of time, so we can't kind of pick it apart line by line, word by word. But, but I want us just to look at it in little sections that might help just to 
to signpost you through this passage and maybe you could come back to it um, during the course of the week. Listen online. I'm so grateful to Steve who puts um, the sermons on the website within kind of a day or two. It's usually that afternoon, often. He's awesome. So do use the website. You can listen by streaming it. You can download it onto your MP3 player, your phone or what have you. You can copy it onto a CD, whatever. If you're not sure how to do that, ask me, ask Steve, ask Ben. We can help you. Okay? But let's look first of all at the first three verses. First three verses, in in some ways, are, are a little bit kind of confusing. But the big thing in those first three verses is that Paul really affirms the ongoing reality of God's work by the power of his Holy Spirit. Because it is him alone that can bring people to a place of confessing that Jesus is Lord. You must understand that, that to own that confession when Paul was writing was actually a very, very dangerous thing to do. To say, Jesus is Lord in Corinth at the, at the beginning of, of, of the church. When rulers like Caesar were considered to be gods themselves, who demanded that people declared that that Caesar should be Lord, that the king should be Lord, like a deity, to say Jesus is Lord was a jolly, risky, dangerous thing to say. Because it says Jesus is above all others. Jesus is king. Everything else comes under his rule. And actually for us to confess that today and live it out is only by the work of God, by his Holy Spirit in our lives. And so Paul wants to affirm that right at the beginning, that God is at work by the power of his Spirit in anyone who would declare Jesus as Lord And actually anyone that would say, Jesus, be cursed. Well, God is not at work in that person yet. Going on to verses 4 to 11. There's a beginning of an illustration to try and and, and show the Corinthians who were were vying for position. They were trying to to kind of better one another and they were trying to to say that, well, I'm more spiritual than you are because I speak in tongues. I'm more spiritual than you because I prayed for somebody and they were healed. And I'm more spiritual than you because I've been given this job in the church. Ooh! And Paul is saying, ah, stop that. God is one. But he is so able to diversely equip the church that we don't need to worry about how other people are gifted. And so this section here is is trying to say, look, God is, is one God, but he's able to do all sorts of different diverse things for different people in different situations according to what is needed. And there's a list there, verses 7 through 11, of gifts. 
Now those gifts are, are illustrative of what the Lord wants to do. They're not exhaustive. This is not all that God plans to do. This is not the list of, of the gifts, but it's an illustration of how God wants to equip his people. It starts in verse 7 with a very important phrase. These gifts are for the common good. If they're tearing people down, then hang on a minute. They're being misused. And that, that list ends in verse 11 by reminding the Corinthians that those gifts are given as God determines, as the giver determines and let's not lose sight of the giver we as human beings can get so hooked into the gifts that we forget about the giver and the gifts get misused and so Paul is just trying to say look people God is the giver he is one but he is well able to give gifts to each individual as he determines, as we rely on him, so that each person may serve in the way that they were created to serve. Then verses 12 and 13, ever so quickly begin to introduce a really familiar image of the body. And how we have one body, each of us. But our one body is made up of bucket loads of parts. I mean, you could just list on forever and ever and ever and ever, couldn't you? Here, there's kind of obvious things. Hands, ears, eyes, feet, all those kinds of things that are visible. But our bodies would be nothing without a brain, without lungs, without a heart. We would struggle without our bones, we would struggle without our skin and our capillaries and all those other bits and pieces. Our bodies are an amazing, complex thing. And Paul wants to use that as an illustration. And he does that in two ways in the following verses. First of all, verses 14 to 20. He addresses the need to recognise and value the different parts of the body. Take verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be a part of the body. See, a foot is valuable as a foot, and a hand is valuable as a hand. And generally speaking, they do different things. Although you do see people who've lost the use of their arms begin to be able to do some stuff phenomenally with their feet. But in broadest terms, in, in, in the terms that he's trying to get us to see here, different parts of the body will do different things. And so he affirms that there is diversity within the unity of the body. And there is order. It's not a case of anything goes, or the hand goes off here and the foot goes off here and the head goes off here, but the body is ordered and able to function because it's ordered. It's because God 
arranges the parts in the body, verse 18, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. And so we need to be in submission to God as we seek to be church. So there's a need to value different parts of the body, verse 14 to 20. Then 21 to 26 goes on a slightly different tack. Feels like it's kind of being laboured a little bit. But the second lot of, of illustrations from the body is a slightly different illustration. If you look at it, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the foot, I don't need you. Can you see, even in the the parts that he's chosen, there's a kind of a looking down. That some parts of the body look down on other parts of the body and say, well, actually, you're not as important as I am. You're kind of off down there. Well, I'm, I'm up here. I'm visible. I'm good. And Paul is saying, uh uh, there's no room for status and hierarchy. Just because some roles and functions are more visible than others doesn't mean that they are better or more valued by God. So let's not get proud about function or role in the body of Christ. But let's come back to who makes us who we are so that we can serve him. And that's pretty much where we get to by verse 27, 27 to 31, having gone off from verse 4 through to verse 26 into this kind of exploration of gifts of different kinds that God gives us and how the body is a really good illustration of that. Notice verse 27, he says, and you, you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it again there's an illustrative list of gifts in that last little bit of the chapter again they are illustrative they give a picture of the gifts that God gives. They don't give an exhaustive list. So you can't just kind of, you don't need to look at that and think, well, hang on a minute. Whoa. I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a teacher. Never done any miracles. Certainly haven't prayed for him. I ain't got no gifts. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you've got to look for it in there and if it's not in there, then well, you must be some kind of a numpty. No. But he's trying to say there are all kinds of gifts. If you look at it, the first three, I guess you could say are kind of like ministries. They're kind of all-encompassing things. Uh, Apostles, people that are sent out. There are prophets, people that speak out, and that's their role. There are teachers. could see those as ministries, and there are many other ministries that God would appoint us to. Then there's a a few kind of examples of of things that are actually supernatural moments from God. Where somebody's given a gift of praying for healing for someone. 
where somebody is able to call upon the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit to do something quite miraculous. All of those things have a kind of a more visibly supernatural thing. And obviously, there is something supernatural about just saying Jesus is Lord, because that goes against our human nature. But here there's something that goes kind of against our, our scientific uh, kind of sense of, well, this is how it should be. Hang on a minute, that shouldn't have happened. But God can work in that way. And then there are also some, some gifts there that are really just about deeds of service. I've just been able to keep going with something of being able to serve somebody that really just throws it back in your face and still loving them. So there are all kinds of gifts, again, listed there. And God wants us to be available to him so that we can be of service to him and to others in ways that he will gift us if we'll let him. If we will let him into our lives and allow him to use us. So you don't have to look to be something you're not asked to be. And that can be terribly freeing. Because you can look around you and you can think, well, yeah, so-and-so is so good at that. And so-and-so, well, they do that so well. And so-and-so, well, ah, oh, just hearing how they do their week. Man alive, I can't do that. But actually, you don't need to be beaten down by other people's experiences. Yes, we can learn and be inspired by others. But actually, if we're feeling condemned by others, that's not from God. So we need to be gifted to serve. What does that look like for you? As we seek to be a church that's using the gifts that we've been given, what does that look like for you? I don't know, there'll be some here today, some listening to this later, who might feel, well, actually, I, I, I haven't really got any gifts. There'll be some that feel, well, yeah, no, I, I, I kind of know my gifts and I think I'm using them. Please help me, Lord, to keep going. There's some that probably know that they do have gifts, but they're, they're not using them. Some that are kind of thinking, well, yeah, of course I must be gifted, but I don't really know what my gifts are. Still others amongst us today might be actually a little bit reluctant to use the gifts we know we've got because, frankly, we just haven't got time. Or maybe we're just not sure that that's our gift. We lack confidence. Or we're too caught up in our, in our everyday life that, that I can't possibly do it because if I do that, then I just haven't got any more capacity. Or 
I'm just distracted by that and that and that and I just can't quite get there but let me say this that each one of us that is in Christ God wants us to serve him using gifts he will give us and has already given us and so I want to affirm you where you are serving and say well done want to challenge you maybe where you're you're, you're not serving and thinking well how could I be serving want to challenge you too to think that maybe I won't always be doing that particular thing but there'll come a time where different gifts are used and so to think openly before God and and be open-handed and say Lord well I've been doing this for such a while I can carry on if you want me to but actually maybe you don't want me to carry on doing that anymore there's somebody else that's gonna maybe step into that role knowing what your gifts are and being able to use them might take time in fact it'll be a lifetime's journey of understanding what our gifts are bit by bit that will grow and as we use them we'll develop but God wants to gift each one of us all sorts of things might be going around your head this morning as you're thinking about this I'd really encourage you to think on to pray on to talk to me to others to pray through and say well what what are my gifts and of course your gifts are used not just in the context of right here in the church family but actually in in what you do in your home in your workplace, in your street. God can use those gifts and, and, and we can benefit as a, as a church family from the stuff that you're doing just by hearing how God is using you. So please don't think that it's all just about kind of looking inwards. We've got to look outwards and be thinking, well, how can I use my, my talents to the glory of God? So for some of you this morning, this will be about affirming and hearing, yes, well done. For some of you, it will be about challenging and saying, well, maybe there are things that you, you could be doing. You need to be asking God, what, what is it that I can be doing? Maybe it's about praying more faithfully. Maybe it's about doing something practical. Maybe it's about getting alongside someone and encouraging them. Maybe it's about having the courage to step out and as you hear somebody struggling with an illness to say, would you mind if I prayed for you? To each of us, God will give his gifts. Do you expect God to use you for his glory? Are you open to God 
working through you naturally and supernaturally. Explore your gifting today. As we share communion this morning, there is a beautiful picture that as we share in one body, here, whole, this, this loaf of bread, but we break it in a moment and each take a piece, remembering that we are gifted because of what Jesus did for us. That we might have life and life in all its fullness.